Today I want to talk to you about a, a young lady named Mary. And we want to learn from her life. And I'm calling this sermon The Power of a Surrendered Life. Luke 1.35, the angel comes to this young lady and says this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. So he's giving this news to Mary. Karen and I were in Hawaii last week on Sunday morning. Uh, we were celebrating our 30th anniversary. It's hard to believe. My wife doesn't even look 30. Uh, and she's so secure. She doesn't mind me saying this stuff. Um, but we had so much fun. It was such a blessing to be with her and to have time away. While we were there, we went to a church, though, uh, in Kapa'a, in, in, on the island of Kauai. And um, it was a great church. I loved it. And there was an old fella, he's an associate pastor now, but he pastored on that island for many years named Pastor Butch. He preached that morning. And I loved him. His spirit was so good and he's been down the road and he's done it and he was so loving. And Pastor Butch said something that I want to read to you today. I wrote it down. Pastor Butch said, the most useful life to God is the person who has said yes to him their whole life long. Now, when a, when a person who's older speaks, the Bible calls gray hair a crown of wisdom. And we just don't honor age in our culture. We don't understand that wisdom comes with age and we don't listen anymore. We honor youth more than we honor the wisdom of age and it just ought not to be. I mean, we love youth and there's zeal there, but there's not always wisdom there, right? And so a person who's been down the road and done it for Jesus for so many years, when, they, when he said that, there was a resonance of truth that came out of it. The most useful life is the person who says yes to God. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you'd help us to understand, each one of us, the power of surrendering our life to you completely. I pray, Lord, you'd help us to see the, the amazing things that happen when we say yes on a continual basis to you. Would you speak to our hearts and reveal through Mary, Lord, your servant, the beauty of what can happen through a surrendered life. I pray it in Jesus' name, amen. So three truths that Mary revealed to us with her life. You know, the Catholic Church has worshipped Mary, and that's too far. She's not God. Um, but the Protestant Church, which we're part of as evangelicals, um, the Protestant Church has, has decided not to honor her very much, and they don't speak about her in, in glowing terms when they should, because the Bible says she's the most honored among all women. Women, humans, right? Um, but we can learn so much from her. She had such a surrendered life and was such an amazing young lady. And we're going to learn from her life today how to surrender and what happens when we surrender. And I, I have three points that we can learn from her life. And I, I'm, I'm taking her life and putting it in terms of the way we need to speak it if we're going to have an impact with our life. So here's the first thought. I will live a pure life according to God's word. That's part of surrender. I will live a pure life Luke 1, 26, let's look at her life. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. That word favor is a, uh, it's, it's just a cool thought. How do you get the favor of God? 
I want to talk to you about that. Because Mary, the way she was living her life, brought the favor and the Lord was with her. He chooses this lady to, to give birth to, to be the mother to his very son, his only begotten son. How do you, how do you choose a lady? Let's look at her a little bit and think about where she was at that time in her life. She was most likely a teenage girl. We know that, and most scholars would say she was a teenager because uh, Jewish girls married at a very young age in that culture. And so you have a teenager. Don't tell me God can't use teenagers. He, he uses young people incredibly. Every major revival in America was started by young people in our history. They, they, they can do amazing things for God with surrendered lives. She was a teenager. She was probably poor, most likely. We see, in, how do we know that? Let me, let me give you a little insight. Leviticus 12, 18, we see there in that chapter that when the Jewish people had a firstborn son, they were to sacrifice a lamb. But it says, if a woman cannot afford to bring a lamb, she must bring two turtle doves and two young pigeons. <clears throat> so we go to fast forward to Luke 2, 24. Mary's a Jewish young lady. She has her firstborn, that's a son. She's to sacrifice, Right? But it says they offered the sacrifice required in the law of the Lord. This is Mary and Joseph. <clears throat> either a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Which means if that was their sacrifice, they didn't have enough money to have a lamb. So they were poor. And so God chooses a teenage girl who's poor. All right? And, and then I would want you to understand she was probably seen as not very spiritual by a lot of the Jews. The people in Judah despised the Jews in Nazareth, and that's where she's from, the town of Nazareth. They interacted with Gentiles, non-Jewish people, so most of the Jews saw the Nazareth uh, citizens, the people who lived, the Jews who lived in that city, as, uh, as somehow flawed and not as spiritual as they because they interacted with those who weren't God's people. So God chooses a teenage girl who's poor and not seen as spiritual by a lot of her peers. Interesting. That that's how he would couch his decision is, um, I want this lady. Well, it wasn't because she was poor that he chose her. It was because of her heart. But I want to speak to something first. You know, they, prosperity and prosper is a word that's in the Bible. And I like it because it's a biblical word. But what happens is there are some Christians who, who kind of do prosperity and they kind of interject steroids into it. And they make, make much more bigger deal out of it than they should because I believe God prospers us. But I want to tell you something. The prosperity of finances is the least of God's blessing. It's the least. I know lots of people who have money and have nothing else. Everything's broken in their lives and they're not happy. You go to Cambodia, you find happy people who have nothing. And so, so money isn't the big deal. Pro, to be prosperous is, is that he would bless your family and bless your life and be with you in so many ways and relationally and, and in every facet of life. He, he prospers us as, as we trust in him. But as you see here when he chooses a poor teenage girl, it's not all about money. I mean, you'd think if she had the favor of God, she'd have a lot of money if you're into prosperity doctrine, right? I'm just showing you that all through the Bible, there were people who didn't have much that had high favor of God and were used in a great way because they were willing to sacrifice. So how did she get the favor of God? Let me give you a few quick things. First, she lived a pure life. And if we want the favor of God, you want the favor of God? I want it. We have to live a pure life if we want that. 
I mean, we need to take responsibility. If we, of our lives and our choices, if we want God's favor, then we live in such a way that it will come to us. So we live pure. Another way to say this, maybe even a better way, is we must live faithfully before the Lord with character when we make our decisions. Look at Luke one thirty four, and we see that Mary was sexually pure. How will this be, Mary asked the angel when he said you're going to have a baby, since I'm a virgin. It's a young lady that was pure. She, she was a virgin. And even more than that, we see that she had character in her life, that all of her decisions were made to honor God and follow him. 1 Timothy 1.5 tells us, the purpose of my instruction is that all believers would be filled with love that comes from a pure heart. God wants you and I to have pure hearts. He wants us to be faithful. A pure heart leads to this, a clear conscience and genuine faith. Matthew 5, 8 says, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. So blessing is favor, isn't it? And that's not just talking about heaven. The, the Beatitudes are both now and not yet. It's talking about heaven where we have complete purity. But we see more of God when we live faithfully for him on this earth. We see more of his blessing and his anointing flowing through us. Psalm 73, 1 says, Truly God is good to Israel, to those whose hearts are pure. Mary was pure, and it was part of the reason that God chose her to do great things for him. So here's the deal for us. You know, we're, we're all people who've made mistakes, right? Some of us have made really big mistakes in our life. So how do you deal with that? You know, well, I haven't lived pure like Mary did. Listen, God's not nearly as concerned about your past as he is about your present and your future. So let me talk to that for a moment. Maybe you haven't been pure just recently. Maybe you think about your past and the enemy wants to beat you up with it. What if instead of getting beat up, we just became like David, who when he sinned and made a mistake, in Psalm 51.10, he prayed this way, create in me a pure heart, God, and make my spirit right again. That's where we start. If it's not where it needs to be now, we just say, okay, God, from now on, I want to follow you. James 4.8 says this, come close to God and God will come close to you. I'd say if there's anything that I've seen as one of the main complaints of believers in America and maybe even our area, since this is where I minister all these years, it's this, every now and then I'll hear, uh, God's just not coming through for me. You hear it in a number of ways. I just, I just don't know where he is. I, I feel like he's not for me. He's not with me. And so often, you, you have to be, you know, people are in pain often when they say that, but many times it had to do with their own decision-making and sin. I'm just being honest, right? Like a lot of the trouble we bring, we bring on ourselves. And I never heard one, not often do I hear, you know, I haven't followed God with my heart, and I, it's, it's I, I, I've chosen these things, and that's why I'm here. I just don't hear people self-analyze that way. They say, God, where are you? But this says, if you come close to God, what's he do? He comes close to you. Wherever you are in your life, doesn't matter how far away, if you come close to him, he'll come close to you. So if you're wondering where he's at, I've wondered often if God's not up there saying, where are you at? You know, we're asking where he's at. Where are you at? Come close to me and I will come close to you. Now this is the New Testament. We don't hear it a lot in preaching today, but listen, it says this, wash your hands, you sinners. This is, this is talking to believers. Watch as we read. Wash your hands, you sinners. Purify your hearts. Is that purity again? 
For your loyalty is divided between God and the world. That's how we know he's talking about believers because he's talking about division between God and the world in our hearts. Let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. And here comes the promise because that was pretty tough, right? But it's true. And here's the promise. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Wherever you're at in your life, wherever you've been, here's the promise. If you'll start now to honor God, he will honor you. You can still get his favor. It's not too much. You've not gone too far. Start now. Just give him your everything and watch him start to move in and through your life. So we must be pure. We must be faithful if we want favor. And then secondly, we've got to be humble. You must be humble. Luke 147 says of Uh, Mary, actually Mary's saying here, my spirit rejoices in God my Savior for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. There's humility to say that. From now on, she says, all generations will call me blessed. She understands that it's God working through her, not her doing it. He's allowing this to happen in my life. Matthew 5.5 says it's true for us as well. God blesses those who are humble. For they will inherit the whole earth. Remember we talked about Samson and the time he came when he was facing hardship and he said to God, God, I've done all these great things for you and you're not there for me. That's what he said at one passage. That's a paraphrase. The truth is he hadn't done anything. That, that Everything that he had done that was powerful and amazing and miraculous, God had done through him. Samson didn't get it and it caused him great trouble because he had no humility. Mary completely walks in humility right from the beginning. And I might add, from the beginning to the end, as far as we can see in the scriptures. So 1 Peter 5 says this, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God and at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. So that brings favor as well, that if we'll live faithfully and pure, that if we'll walk in humility, we'll see God doing amazing things through our lives. And then next, the third thought, you must be willing to give him glory for whatever he does in your life. You want his favor? Be willing to give all the glory to him. And God knows our hearts. And look, Mary gave him the glory. Luke 146, Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. She's giving him the glory right there. Luke 149, she says, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. She's not saying, I have done great things for God. She's saying, God has done great things for me. And that is humility. And, and, and that is giving him the glory instead of taking it ourselves. Now here's a thought for you. You won't find this phrase in the Bible, but I believe the Bible backs this up. God favors those who favor him. The ones who say, God, I believe in you, I'll follow you with my whole heart, and I want to live for you, and they go to great lengths to try to, to be careful, to be proactive, to, to be going and doing the things that they feel him calling to, to be applying the scriptures to the word. Those who favor him, he favors. Now, he loves us all, right? And we can go to heaven even when we're not perfect, right? Of course. But I'm talking to you about the favor of God. And if you want the favor of God, then you walk faithfully and you walk pure. And you, you glorify, you give the glory to him and you walk in humility. 
And those who favor him, he favors. Here it is in the Bible, 1 Samuel 2.30. Those who honor me, I will honor. So let's talk about Tim Tebow for just a moment. Is God helping Tim Tebow win? I think that's an interesting question. For those of you who don't know, how many have heard all the hullabaloo about uh, Tim Tebow recently? Raise your hand. All right. They're saying, this is what football coaches, pro football coaches are saying. They've never seen anything like this kid. Um, he, let me just see if I can set the stage quickly for those of you who may not know. Uh, you don't watch TV. That's what it means. Um, <laughs> because not only is he on the sports, but he's on Fox and CNN and all the radio. They're all talking about this kid. And I believe that God is bringing attention to him. Here's, here's the deal. All, all of the coaches join with the manager from the Broncos uh, John Elway to say this kid really can't play and they demoted him to fourth string at the start of the season and Kyle Orton was ahead of him and went one and four and I'm sure he was doing his his best and then they threw Tebow in there and it looked almost like they threw him in there to mess up so they'd shut the fans up in Denver and say see he's not that good problem he started to win and here's, here's the scenario I mean he's he's basically Rocky Balboa in football I mean that's that's what's happened Nobody's believed in him. He plays horrible for three and three quarters of a game, and in the last few minutes, his defense keeps him close enough, and miraculous comebacks have happened. In the first 11 starts he's had in the NFL, he's had six fourth quarter or overtime comebacks, and that has never been done in the history of football. One coach, Coach Ditka, who used to coach the Bears, said, because he's done it the last four games, and he said it's the equivalent of hitting a walk-off game-winning hit in baseball for four straight games. And so, because he's so polarizing, here's the other thing. He says after, at every news conference, uh, or after every game, I want to thank my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He kneels after every game to give honor to God, and he points to heaven, which other athletes have done. But people don't like it. And then the other thing is, everybody gets on him, and they, you know, they want him to fail and they don't like this Jesus stuff, but he's so loving and so nice that they have a hard time really hammering him, even though they would like to. As a matter of fact, Erlacher in the win last week, who's one of the greatest linebackers, probably the, the best linebacker in football today, at least arguably, uh, they asked him after the game because they made a miraculous comeback. It was ridiculous. And, and um, uh, if you turned off your TV, you missed it. But, but they ask Erlacher, what do you think? Well, Tebow is kind of a good runner, but not very good at passing is the, the mark they give him, and yet he makes great passes at the end of the game. And he said, what do you think of him? And Erlacher said, he's a great running back. And he meant that as a slam, uh, because he's a quarterback, right? And so Tebow, they just kind of uh, say over to the other locker room, hey, Erlacher just said, he's up in the press box, you know, and they said, Erlacher just said you're a great running back. What do you have to say about that? And he said, Brian Erlacher's a great player. I take that as a compliment. I mean, you just can't get the kid, right? He's just, he's just, he's just way nice. And, and you, they, they mic'd him in that game, and he was kneeling in the late in the, in the third when, he, when things weren't going well, and he said, God, win or lose. This is what they picked up on the mic. Help me to honor you. And so is God helping Tebow win? I, I don't know, but let me tell you this. Um, God doesn't count wins the same way we do. Right? And neither does the world. Uh, to us, Jesus Christ on the cross, major win. Greatest win of all time. To the world who doesn't know God, major loss. Loser. Died. They got him. 
But that's not the way it is, really, right? They don't understand. The natural man does not understand the, the things of God. And, and so God doesn't count wins the same way we do and sometimes, and, and the world doesn't either. But I'll tell you this. There are times where you can see God's favor on a business, right? And they have major wins over and over again, and God's hands on that business because they've followed him. And you see seasons where his major favor and major wins are in a business. You, you can see that on churches, right? Where all of a sudden for a season there's major favor. And, and usually in a business or that church, he's highlighting something he wants to show people. Something specific he's bringing attention to that's really cool. And he shows himself through these things. And I would say if he can do it there and he, in a business and here in a church or somewhere else, uh, he can certainly do it in sports if he wants to, right? I don't have any doubt he could help people win. Whether he's doing that here, I don't know. But let's ask the question differently. Is God's favor on Tim Tebow? I believe it is. Now, here's something that the world doesn't know. Tim Tebow will get his opportunity to honor and glorify God even in a loss. And that would be a win, right? As a matter of fact, that chance may come for him today to, to, do, to do that, right? Now, I want all of you to know that I have not accepted Tim Tebow as my personal savior, okay? It is, it is still about Jesus. That's what it's about. But if God has his hand on this guy in this way, he's highlighting something different than wins and losses in the NFL. As a matter of fact, Tebow says this is just a game. That's really hard for everybody around him to hear. He says, without, with, without fear, I want to use this as a platform to share Jesus, and, and who, who and when have we heard this kind of stuff? And, and the whole world is watching today in Denver. Uh, the, all of the press, not the football press, all of the press in America from all the major networks is hitting the ground in Denver. And I'm hearing Jesus on the networks more than I've ever heard it before. And, and it's just kind of interesting. And I think some people are starting to believe there might be a God and that he's helping Tebow. And it's more the unbelievers than the believers because they think he's so bad it has to be God. That's what, they're, that's what they're thinking, right? But God just does things in, in unique and, 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 and wonderful ways. But here's the deal. He most definitely has the favor of God on it. And it's because of the, of the ways that the winds are going to be different than the world thinks. I mean, he'll win in some losses by honoring God. You, you wait and see. And now, now I'd say he's young and pray for him, you guys. I mean, uh, the, the enemy wants him to make a mistake and there's a lot of eyes on him right now. Uh, but, but, but pray that the, the, the Lord will use him. But here's what I want you to know. Psalm 1825, to the faithful you show yourself faithful. Because Tim Tebow wants to live a God-honoring life, God is using him. And here's what I believe is happening. I believe... It's about more than football and that God is raising up Tim Tebow with visibility because it's about something after football for him. Uh, I don't know if it's, uh, I don't know what it may be, but it's a high visibility and it goes farther than football. But I also believe that anytime Jesus does something about this it, or, or God does it, it's always about Jesus Christ. And if God is doing something through Tebow, the whole point is to bring hearts and minds to Jesus Christ and he's a good example of how a world can be impacted if we're unashamed, right? Because we listened to the world. They said, shut up and take a back seat, and we did in America. And what Tebow is showing us, we don't, look, shout it from the rooftops, the Bible says. Uh, what Tebow is showing us, that our problem wasn't really that we, that, that we were talking, it's just that we weren't loving. 
right? Because the church, the church, I mean, lift up Jesus, be bold, but be loving. And what we see is a young man who's being loving, so people, so people are opening their hearts a little more. And that's what God is saying to us through this young guy's life. Open up your heart to speak for me and love. Don't have a bad spirit like you wish everybody would go to hell. That's how some Christians are. I'm going and you're not. Nah, nah, nah. You know, that is not the right spirit. God wants all to be, to be saved. And so some thoughts for us on the favor of God. And, and Mary had it. And, and I believe Tebow has it. And I, and I believe you can have it. That's what this is about this morning. God, God wants to give his favor to every one of us. But it's up to us. Do we want to follow? And will we be faithful to him? Second uh, point, that, that was about the favor in the, in the first point, that she kept her life pure. Now second thought today, Mary believed God for the impossible. And a question for us, will we believe God for the impossible? You want to have impact with your life, you must believe God for the impossible. Luke one thirty. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son. And you're going to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. Then the angel says in verse 37, for nothing is impossible with God. And here's Mary's response. I mean, it's ridiculous information. Now granted, an angel's saying it, so it might be a little easier to receive. But come on, he says, you're gonna give birth without knowing a man, without being with a man. The Holy Spirit's going to impregnate you. And she believed that. We gotta give her credit for that, right? I mean, how many opportunities when you leave that room do you have to think, I must have been dreaming? That didn't really happen. That is impossible. But the... The angel says, for nothing is impossible with God. And Mary responds, here's her response. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And the angel left her. Elizabeth says to Mary later, this is how we know she believed it and she walked it. You are blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. Now God has a plan for your life and it's different for every one of us. But I'm telling you, it includes the miraculous. You're living with your, within your ability and I'm living in with it only with my ability if I don't allow and believe for God's miracles to flow through me. Not me doing it, not you doing it, but him doing it through a surrendered life. That's how he shows himself. He'll show himself miraculous through a surrendered life who will believe him. Now, when, when, when this says you're blessed because you believe the Lord would do what he said, this doesn't mean God will do anything you ask him to do. Right? He'll do anything he asks you to do if you'll believe him for it. Catch that? That has to do with his will for your life. If we ask according to his will. Now, I'm going to tell you something. The things he wants you to do are miraculous. But it's his plan for your life. And when you believe him for it, and you start walking in it, and you're willing to pay the price long haul and be faithful, and you trust him and make it about him, if you believe, you'll see his miracles happen through your life, and it will show how awesome he is. Mary believed God when it seemed it really was unbelievable. She believed God was going to make her pregnant without having sex with a man. 
Come on, now that's major faith. But that's what God had said. She believed that she was going to give birth to the Messiah because it was spoken to her. She believed that though things were going to get complicated, God would work everything out. Complicated, right? She's engaged but not married. Her tummy's growing. The community's watching. It's embarrassing. She hasn't done anything wrong. She's been completely pure. That's why she was chosen. It's going to get complicated and she, and she was going to believe in spite of. And she did. I don't want to live my life doing only the things I'm capable of doing. Every one of us have the common grace upon our God, uh, grace of God upon our lives, I should say. That's what I meant to say. And the common grace of God is this. Every gift you have and talent that you were born with, God gave it. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above. Even if you don't serve God, the awesome singing, sports, uh, communication, uh, artistic ability, anything you have, business ability, is given to you by God. You may not give him the glory for it, but it's still, it was still his hand and his thumbprint that marked you to, so you'd have that in your life. And, and, and you can live and do some great things because of God's uh, artistry in your life and his creation of the things, the makeup that he made you, but you can't really do the miraculous without God. So you can take the common grace of God and do things you're capable of because of that and, and have a decent life, but you can't have a miraculous life. And I don't want to live doing just the things that I'm capable of doing. I don't want you to live doing just the things you're capable of. I want to see God. I believe God wants to do the miraculous in and through your life like he did with Mary. And for that to happen, you must believe in him and that he has something great that he wants to do and surrender yourself completely. Don't let someone label you as a no one. You're... God's creation, you're the son and the daughter of the Most High. You're one that he can use in incredible fashion, but it comes from humility when you surrender yourself and he shows himself mightily. And there'll be times just like her that even though we believe, we have to follow when we don't understand. Believe me, she did not understand all of it. There'll be times where it looks like failure and it's embarrassing and it's hard. Even though you don't understand, keep following, keep trusting. I'm fond of saying, and I mean it in humility, the best thing I've ever done is not quit. Because there are times that you just feel like it, aren't there? There are times you're misunderstood. There are times you don't do as well as you want. But don't quit. Just keep going, keep trusting, and keep coming close to him. Philippians 4.13 explains it for us. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. It's not my strength. It's his strength. That when you walk in humility, when, if we'll walk in humility, his strength will be shown through our lives just like it was through Mary's. When God first spoke to me and said that he wanted to build a great church in Tualatin and that he could do it, I was sitting in a large church just looking at the beauty of it all alone in this large room. It was a gorgeous place. And kind of admiring it, thinking, man, how many people sacrificed? And just thinking of the thousands that were worshiping there each week and, the, and how many had been saved and lives had been healed. And just thanking the Lord for that in that moment. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, I can do this in Tualatin. And I knew he meant us when he said it. And I'm, I'm just being honest with you, it scared me. It was, it was, I think it was my first year of ministry here. And it scared me. 
Because, you, you know, you look around, it was, it was just vast, and the work was so awesome. And here's what I said. I said, God, I don't think I can do it. And God spoke to me and said, I didn't say you could do it. I said I could do it. See, it's his strength through us. And I said, Lord, if, if that's what you want to do, I'm in. And I bowed my knee and I prayed that day. And I believe he's building his church here. Mark 10, 27, Jesus looked intently in this passage and said to some people who are having some trouble with belief, humanly speaking, it is impossible, but not with God. Everything is possible with God. You say, well, I can't. You're right, and that makes you qualified to minister. You can't, but he can. Hebrews 11.1, 1, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Faith is required. Mary, if she doesn't believe this, probably doesn't get to walk it out and see it happen. God in his sovereignty knew she was faithful and knew she would. But she believed. Be a person that believes that God can do his miraculous work through you and he will. It may not look like high visibility. But I'm going to tell you, it's pretty miraculous when you win your neighbor to Jesus and generation upon generation is changed and a whole family comes to Jesus. That is amazing. It's pretty miraculous when you visit someone in the hospital and you pray a prayer of faith because God says now and he raises them up and heals them. That's pretty miraculous. Maybe people don't hear about it, but really, do they need to know? I mean, isn't it about Jesus being glorified? And I'm just telling you, he can use you if you'll believe him for great things and follow through with what he's given you. I, I am, um, I don't have this in my notes, but there's, there's just some people and some works that I, I just want to affirm today. There, there have been some couples in this church that have believed that God wanted them to start a work that was beyond this church. A 501c3. Now these are people who, who are already making good money. Uh, could continue to build upon that, have a good life, and give lots of money to others. But they decided that they're going to pull off that and put into the mix something that God was calling them to do, and that's starting a ministry to reach out to kids, to reach out to other nations. And we've had more than a few couples do this in this church. And I just want to say to those people, you know who you are, I'm so proud of you. You could have you just... You could have just made it about you. Because I'm going to tell you, when you take the helm, there's all kinds of trouble when it comes to leadership. Just people who don't believe, struggles that come, pain and heartache. And when you take a hold of something and say, God, I hear you, I'm going I'm to do this, it's a sacrifice. And we've seen lives touched in this, across this nation and across the world because some of you said yes to God about what he was saying to do. I'm not just talking pie in the sky and what God can do in all of our lives. I'm telling you about lives where this is happening in our church. And when we take hold of what God says and we say yes and we believe, bam, we see miracles start to happen. We see kids' lives change. We see people coming to Christ and being discipled in other nations. We see amazing things happen. And that leads me to my third thought. As we're thinking of Mary, 
She said, I'm willing to pay the price with my whole life. This is probably not something you've thought a lot about when it comes to Mary. You think about how hard it was in those moments, but I'm not sure we think about how hard her whole life was. She said yes to God, even though it was going to be hard. Now, I am not an easy believism pastor. I'm not a guy that says, God will just make your whole life peachy king. I have stood up for 18 years and asked people to give their lives away. I believe the Bible says that we should take up our cross, not that life's going to be easy. And what, what, you know, what's a cross about? It's about heartache and sacrifice for the good of something that can come that's eternal. And I don't see in the Bible where everything's just going to be easy for Christians. When you get in and you go for it, and you accept the mission that God gives you, I see heartache and pain that's completely worth it because of the eternal results. This life is short. One life, it'll soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last, the poet said. And it's true. Luke 2.34, Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, she brought the baby Jesus, and the prophet says this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. So that means that there's going to be a world change, people that love him and people that hate him. That's hard to, to know that your son's going to have to endure quite a bit in life, a prophet says. And then listen to this. Have you noticed this before? The prophet says to Mary, and a sword will pierce your own soul too. I'm talking about a young lady that was willing to sacrifice. She still said yes to everything God had for her. She was willing to endure. And think of what she had to endure. A fiance who didn't believe in her and thought she'd been unfaithful. We know it's true because Matthew 1.19, Joseph, her fiance, was a good man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly, which means he didn't believe her. He had to have an angel come tell him, too. Can you imagine that conversation with Mary? I'm pregnant. But it wasn't by man. God did it. What? <laughs> you expect me to believe that? I, I know it's hard to believe, but an angel visited me, and it's true. And it was just too much. He didn't believe her. And the angel came to tell him, now it's hard when your spouse doesn't believe in you. It's tough for people, isn't it? And for her to know that the man she loved and was willing to give her life, she'd been completely pure. How did that pierce? He doesn't believe me. I remember, um, not quite as serious as this, but I remember one time that I wasn't sure I believed Karen. And Karen has been completely faithful and loyal. She's an amazing lady. We'd been married just a couple of months. We were students at George Fox University. And I was uh, coming back from school that day and she had been working at a doctor's office. And when I got back from my class, I called the doctor's office, I thought, and said, is Karen up there? And I met at the front desk. And the voice said, no, she, she's not here. She's supposed to be here. I said, well, yeah, she said she was, she was going there this morning. She said, no, she's not here. I'll, I'll call you if she shows up. So I hang up thinking, my gosh, my brand new wife gets all dressed up in her nurse whites and heads to the doctor's office, and, she, and she, that's what she told me. She's not there. Where is she? 
So I wait till she comes home that afternoon, and I'm embarrassed about this because, you know, I mean, it's just so dumb. But I, you know, insecure, new, new husband, and she comes in, and I, I'm kind of like, so where were you today? What do you mean? I was at work. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. No, you weren't. <sighs> yes, I was. I was at work all day. I called, and they said you weren't there. She said, I don't know who you called. But I was there. Well, luckily for me, I believed her. So I settled down and said, I have no clue. That is just weird. About an hour later, the girl, who's our friend in an apartment above us, I called the wrong number, comes down, knocks on the door, sticks her head through and says, hey, did you find Karen? I went, oh, my word. I was so glad I believed her. Now, that, that, hurt, that hurt Karen when I did that. Can you imagine, even though she forgave me, can you imagine having your spouse believe that you're unfaithful when you're completely pure? That, that would be very, very difficult. And, and think of this, the whole, her whole neighborhood probably branded her as a loose woman. Now, we're not just talking about her early days. Think about this. She's engaged, she's pregnant. They see it, they know it. Not only does that continue, because there's Gentiles in the neighborhood too, not just Jews. They're Jews who are super spiritual, right? And, well, she's a, she's a bad woman. You think they believed that she was giving birth to the Son of God? We know that even the kids didn't believe it. Later, they didn't know Jesus was the Messiah. When they were grown, they go, hey, come on, you're just a guy like, like us. That's essentially, in paraphrase, what they were saying in one of the passages. And think of what Mary had to do with her kids, you know, when the, one of them comes up and says, Jesus is your favorite. Well, you know, he is the son of God, right? Did you, I, 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 mean, I mean, what do you say, right? I mean, see, this is a very difficult thing to raise Jesus Christ. You're watching over him, you know, and you know God's with him, but but there was a culture that mocked her, and it was probably many years later that she would walk down the road in her neighborhood, and people would say, well, you know, her first was born in an illegitimate way. It wasn't true. But they didn't believe it. Now, there's some extrapolating there, and some, but, but, the, but as a whole, we know the culture, didn't, her kids didn't even believe it. And then the criticism from those who didn't believe and the whispers. If you've been in ministry long or been following Jesus long, you, you've been criticized. Because we all are at some point. And it just hurts when, when people don't believe in you and say things that aren't true. And I thank God for a very healthy church that is so positive. But through the years from people who come and go, I felt the sting of criticism that hurt me here. And I'm not unusual, so have you. All of us face stuff in life, right? And Mary was just living in a place where people weren't believing in her. And it, it, was, it was difficult, but how do you answer the critics? You know, you can't get defensive and say, ah, ask my mommy, she'd tell you. My real heart, I'm good. You can't do that, right? You just look this defensive and stupid. So here's how you answer the critics. You answer them with your life over the long haul. 
faithfulness. That's what Mary did. The grumbling, the whispers, the negative words, she just continued to be faithful. But it was a sword that was piercing her. It was difficult. Anyone who does something for God will be criticized. 2 Timothy 3.12, yes, and everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. When you're living godly in Jesus, persecution's part of it. If we're not being persecuted, I, I mean, I'm, I'm being serious, we're probably not doing anything for God. Probably not out there enough. We're probably not focused enough on being a little bit more vocal and loving and forward about these things. How will they know, the Bible says, unless someone tells them? And those who live godly will suffer persecution, not might, not may, will. I expect it. I really do. I'm not saying I like it, but I expect it. Luke 6, 28, bless those who curse you, pray for those who hurt you. So let's talk about Tim Tebow again for just a moment. He's suffering persecution right now. As a matter of fact, um, uh, there was a radio host just this week that says, and I, I, I won't, I'm tempted to, but there, there's, um, in, in texting and Facebook, they abbreviate things, and this guy abbreviated something uh, uh, in letters to say, Tim Tebow just needs to shut his mouth about Jesus Christ. He said that on the radio. And uh, he said, people love him. I don't like him at all. And why? It's the Jesus thing. And, and really, there are a lot of people who aren't saying that, but that's why they don't, they don't like him. And he's suffering some persecution. Even Kurt Warner, who I love, a quarterback for the Cardinals, said to him about a month ago, you need to tone it down. Don't talk so much public about Jesus. It, it's upsetting to people. I'm so glad Tim Tebow didn't listen to his sweet brother. He's an awesome guy. I love Kurt Warner. He shouted out um, uh, at the Super Bowl after winning, thank you, Jesus. That, that was kind of cool. I love Kurt Warner. But Kurt Warner's call and his walk isn't the same as Tebow's. And he meant well, but Tebow in a loving way has put Jesus forward and now a whole culture is talking about God and Jesus that wasn't. Millions of people are having a conversation about religion and Jesus and how nice this guy is. Some kids got suspended for Tebowing in high school, which, you know, that's a whole prayer thing that where you kneel down at the end and they're, they're, they're doing it... Um, and taking pictures of it and posting it. And they did it in the high school hallway and it, and it blocked traffic and so kids got suspended for it. And um, they asked Tebow what he thought. And Tebow said, well, um, I, think it's, I think it's cool that they have enough courage and boldness to do it, but I, but I also think they should honor authority. And uh, that I, would just, I would just say, you know, I, I, I appreciate the boldness, but... You honor the authority at that school as well. The, guy, the guy's saying the right things. But there, there's, there's this uncomfortableness in our society because religion is becoming public again with this guy. He's taking it into the marketplace. And you know what God wants to happen? He wants thousands of young people to be doing that. And I'm, I'm sure they are. You know, this is high visible. But he wants that from us, a loving, forward witness. He's blessing those who aren't nice to him. And I believe God's up to something big with this kid uh, to show his love and, and, and he's teaching us how not to be ashamed and how to be loving. And it's gonna encourage believers everywhere. But he's being persecuted for it. 
And he's willing to pay the price. Because it's not about football. God didn't promise us an easy path if we do the right thing. He said you will be persecuted. Here's Jesus saying to his disciples, and that's us, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The cross is pain and heartache. For everyone wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will find it. I like where it says in Hebrews that Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross despising the shame. The joy set before him was you and me today. People who've come to Jesus and now know him because he was willing to go to the cross and pay the price. And we can't save anybody, but when we take up our cross, what what it means is we're pointing the way to the cross, to Jesus Christ, and we're not afraid. I'll tell you one of the greatest witnesses of the power of the Holy Spirit, it's boldness. I don't know why the church in America doesn't talk about that anymore. Boldness is all through the Bible. Be bold. When the Holy Spirit showed up, they were bold and courageous, and the Spirit moved. Look what they said about Jesus. You know, you talk about the critics. They said, you're demon-possessed. That's what they said about Jesus in the Scriptures. So we look at Mary's life. And we see that she was willing to live it out, to take up her cross, Her son would be in constant danger and she'd have to watch that in his ministry. People after him trying to take his life. She watched her son. Now think of this. Talk about a sword piercing her soul and her cross. She watched him be mocked and derided and scourged and whipped and a crown of thorns being pressed on his head and nails being driven in his, his side and in his hands and she was there to see it. John 19, 25. Near the cross of Jesus stood his mother. In all of it, she was willing to live her whole life long for the purposes of God, even though it may be hard. Hebrews 12, 2, we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. What the Bible is saying is he's our example. We haven't yet resisted to where our blood was shed. You know, I'd ask you to die for him today and I think, I think most of us would be willing. I hope so. But the, re- the real thing is it's, it, we need to live for him, not die for him. We need to die to self and live for Jesus today. Romans 12.1 says that we should make our lives a holy and a living sacrifice. Galatians 2.20, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, and I'm living for him now. While Karen and I were in Hawaii, I noticed at one of the bookstores that we were at, actually it was a tourist site that we were at that sold books, I noticed several books that had the name Father Damien on them, written by various authors, and I picked it up and I took a look at the backside of the book as it had an explanation. And then I did some research when I got home. Let me tell you about Father Damien. 
He was a Belgian priest who in the late 1800s decided that God's calling for him was to live amongst and care for lepers in Hawaii who had been exiled to live on the island of Molokai in Hawaii. Now lepers, I, you know, they, they speak of it in the New Testament. We don't have them today because medicine has wiped it out. I mean, if you, if you do get it, they can, they can medicate it and it'll go away quickly. But in those days, there was no cure. In the New Testament, we see it as well, that there was no cure. But this disease would overcome your body and would eat your flesh and it, it was uh, so transferable that people would be isolated and you'd never be able to be with your family again when you had leprosy. You would have to yell from a long distance away and those lepers would have to be isolated so they'd never be close to their family members again. 100 yards away, about as close as you could get. And there was fear that this disease would spread so they were isolated to the island of Molokai. And the disease would eat your flesh. I mean, literally, you'd be alive and your fingers would fall off. You'd lose your limbs before you die. And eventually, the disease would take your life. It's one of the most horrid diseases the world's ever seen. Can you imagine being isolated to an island away from people? People don't want to bring food. They don't want to come as doctors. And then being so lonely and watching your body deteriorate and know you're going to die soon. And God called a man named Father Damien. These people didn't have decent lodging on that island. They were abandoned by society, separated from their families, and most of them without Christ. And Father Damien said, I will go, Lord. He made it his mission to live among and serve the lepers on that island. He made it his struggle to bring the love of God to those lepers and to provide adequate medical care, to bring dignity to these otherwise forgotten people. And most of all, he brought Jesus to them. After 16 years of caring for their physical, spiritual, and emotional needs in that leper colony, Father Damien contracted the disease and he died. He wasn't afraid to touch those people. He's highly esteemed in Hawaii. I mean, everywhere you go, you see something about him. This is the late 1800s when he was alive. As a matter of fact, in 2005, in his native country, Belgium, they did a poll, and the poll was to find out who was the greatest Belgian citizen ever. And in 2005, the Belgian people, largely don't know God, chose Father Damien as the greatest Belgian ever because he took the compassion of God, the love of God, and the gospel to a people that were hurting and abandoned. And I'm here to tell you today that the results of a surrendered life are blessing and impact. I read a book when I first went in ministry by Ray Ortland called Lord Make My Life Count. I want my life to count. I want it to be something that's given for eternity, not just to pay the rent. Luke 142, Elizabeth, it says this in the word. She gave a glad cry and explained to Mary, exclaimed rather, you are favored by God above all other women. I'm talking about blessing now. And your child is destined 
for God's mightiest praise. I'm, I'm sorry, I've gone a little long today, but I'm closing with this thought. Anybody see that um, there, it's really cool at Christmas time, people are paying off uh, uh, layaway bills at Kmart. Anybody see that in the news? I just thought that was the coolest thing, and my thought was, I'd like to see how, what percentage of those people paying those bills are Christians, because I bet it's high. But it's, it's cool, you know, most stores don't have layaway plans anymore, so that's why Kmart, I think they're the only one I know of that, uh, that does it. But they'll, they'll, people will go in and pay off 30, 40, 50 people's bills and pay it down to a dollar or two because so, you have to keep the account open, right? You can't close it because they haven't picked the stuff up. People come in and they're just in tears. It's an amazing gift. They couldn't afford it. That's why it's on layaway and they're, they're getting their stuff. And I, I just think that's really cool. But I want to talk to you about a gift that you could give that's even greater than that today. As cool as that is. Would you give God, I'm asking you today, I'm making a plea, would you give God your life surrendered to him as a gift? Because that's what Christmas is about, right? It's about the gift, Jesus coming to us. Greatest gift ever. What if we gave him the gift of a surrendered life that said, whenever, however, what do you want? You say, well, I might have to go to Africa. Yeah, you might. But if you do, it'll be cool. Probably no one here has to go to Africa. Victoria, I didn't do this first service. I want you to stand again, just for a moment. No, don't, don't clap for her yet, because just, just stand. Um, I, I just totally appreciate um, here saying Yes. And I, I'm, I'm not trying to bring the praise of men to you. But I'm saying, if, if we'll be like Mary, if we'll be like this young lady, you can, you can sit down and say yes to some hard times for the sake of the cross. You know, it's, it's, it's a dichotomy to say, yes, it'll be hard, but it's the best life ever. But it's so true. You'll never be more fulfilled than following the will of God for your life. You'll never be happier and feel more significant. I don't want to be successful. I want to have a life that's significant. The world's terms in success, sometimes they're nothing to God. They don't do anything for anyone else, just me. I don't want to be successful. I want to live a life of significance. And I believe that that's what God wants for us.